0: Welcome to the
1: Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, June 11th, 2021. It is the 17th birthday of my oldest daughter, Shayna. So happy birthday, Shayna. Yes, and as I said yesterday, it came almost exactly on the anniversary of my the 20th anniversary of my first meeting um, with her mother. So we we were very hopeful that day. That um, she would be born on that anniversary, and she ended up being born half an hour into the following day. And then we got our wish two years later, oddly enough, because our our second child, Shiri, was born on our anniversary, um, which turns out to be a um, complex matter when you are the parent of a small child because. Uh, You really aren't allowed to celebrate anything but the birthday of the child on the day of the child's birthday, even if there is something else to celebrate. This is not taken well, is not considered an appropriate matter for uh, celebration, since the only possible celebration on the birthday of a child is that child's birthday. And any other anything that intrudes upon that is a um, moral hazard of extraordinary proportions so anyway uh so we uh so uh, and our third child just born on Bastille Day that's all I can say it doesn't really doesn't really count for anything anyhow so happy birthday to Shana uh and with me as always executive editor Abe Greenwald hi Abe hi John senior writer Christine Rosen hi Christine hi John and Associate Editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Um, so the news uh, of, of, of yesterday within uh, certain circles was uh, the fact that uh, mid-afternoon, uh, out of nowhere, uh, Jeffrey Toobin pops up on CNN. Uh, after seven months, uh, of course, having uh, been caught um, pleasuring himself on a Zoom camera in front of his colleagues at The New Yorker, Fired by The New Yorker, then uh, I guess, suspended by CNN, uh, where of course he has been a commentator, reporter, whatever you want to call him for you know, more than more than uh, twenty years. and uh, brought back uh, to both answer questions about to 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 answer questions about what happened uh, as the as the uh, prologue to him returning to CNN as a legal commentator. Largely because of, in part because uh, the Supreme Court is now issuing its decisions for this year's term, uh, and uh, they apparently uh, wanted him back. Um, I have very complicated feelings about Jeff Tubin and they're very personal. And go into that a little later. Uh, but um, I bring this up only because um, uh, we. This is a very. This raises interesting issues about our culture and forgiveness and how peculiarly unforgiving our culture has become. Uh, And, and then how the, the sort of the, the people at the the people who are at the summit of our culture, apparently get to pick and choose based on no observable or comprehensible or coherent standard, who gets a second chance, who gets a pass, who gets treated with compassion and forgiveness and who is, you know, uh, ostracized, excommunicated and shunned, uh, in, in, in perpetuity. Um, and so apparently Jeff Tubman is being given a second chance, uh, is being shown compassion, is being shown forgiveness. Uh, and I can go into a little later why, um, there's something peculiarly, um, uh, hypocritical or ironic about that uh, relating to my own family. But where do you guys come down on this question?
2: The, the question of selective mercy as needed as well, out by the... the... <laughs> well, I guess there
1: are two questions. One of which is, does he deserve the second chance and mercy and all of that? And then the second question, I guess, is the larger question of how are we going to understand this Given what has gone on in America over the last few years and given what is going on right at this minute, all over the place, every single day, whenever anybody says something that somebody else wants to call out.
2: Well, for him, I, I'm glad, by the way, that you didn't introduce the question as as being a touchy subject. But he, so him personally, if it was just confined to that issue of him accidentally masturbating on a Zoom call, I would say the it was an outsized overreaction of the New Yorker to fire him for that. Maybe you know there, there were other means that they could have taken to deal with that. But he also has a history and has some credible accusations of harassment and and kind of. Uh, questionable sexual behavior that that became public. And, and his behavior in general with regard to these matters gives it a slightly different tint in my opinion. I still don't think that that should have destroyed his entire career. And so I guess it's good that CNN brought him back on. I think it was ridiculous that they they had this poor female anchor in a kind of hostage-like situation having to read the questions to him. That was one of the more uh, the kind of secondhand embarrassment watching those two was was quite something. But to the broader question, I think it's him being uh, allowed to come back is actually a, a great a great sign of a broader hypocrisy that, that's at work here. Because look, for example, at the New York Times treatment of a high school student who said the N-word while singing on a TikTok video and was year a couple of years later that was exposed and she was kicked out of the, the she couldn't go to the college that she had intended to go to. Meanwhile, the son of the president, you know, text messages showing him saying horrible things, including using the N-word, uh, is, is not even treated as a story by the mainstream media. So that, that there's an outsized judgmentalism about people who aren't in the elite in some ways, and then a really, really unforgiving sense of punishing those who have the least power.
0: But that's that's the distinction here between these cases. For, for a lot of men in this audience, I would imagine you can at least envision a circumstance where there but for the grace of God go you. Therefore, you should have a little bit of compassion for people who are caught in conditions like this. But the only reason why we know it, we knew about it, is because it was leaked. We shouldn't know anything about this in the absence of the kind of professional jealousies that made this public. And that's a lot of what we see in so-called cancel culture. The meeting out of punishments motivated entirely by the the desire to prosecute professional jealousies, professional problems, and to benefit. From the defenestration of people who are above your station, that you could probably succeed, uh, and I think that was entirely what was what motivated this in this situation. And regardless of Jeff Tubin's merits, which are a subject of debate entirely outside of this conversation, uh, those this had no business ruining his life.
3: So, w- according to what Tubin said yesterday. Um, the internal investigation that the New Yorker did, uh, following the, this, um, when, the, the, when this initially happened, um, they found no other, no instances of anyone complaining about his behavior. Um, if that's the case, then he would, he would have been, um, fired from the New Yorker solely because of this, which I, which I do think is preposterous because, um, Nothing about what he did uh, on the Zoom call is predatory, right? It's it's pathetic, and uh, without not trying to make a pun, it's sort of self punishing because the second he it's out, what he endured, what he endured is um, no. The second the news is out, what he endured is just, is just. That is, you know, as bad as as any sort of punishment that's going to be meted out. Um, right, the after.
1: mockery actually yes. was the
2: punishment, right?
3: Yes. So.
1: Well, that's, a, that, that's an interesting question. Um, if the mockery were sufficient unto the day, he wouldn't have been on television yesterday. I mean, I, I had a, a, a series of uh, private exchanges with friends of mine and people who have had issues with Jeff over the years and all of that. I think all of us said that uh, had we, uh, being who we were, that had we been in his circumstances, we would rather have died than ever go back on television. In other words, that that, that to be subjected a second anew to the kind of public mockery and the exposure, again, not to make another pun, but the exposure of the... Of the event and the and the and the relitigating of it and all of that, that the shame that we would feel had we been caught under uh, similar circumstances would vitiate any desire to play a visible public role. I mean, as I say not not to be a writer, not to not to not write books, not to sort of proffer our, our wares. But uh, he is a person with two professions. He he writes for a living. Writes very successful books, wrote for the New Yorker, and was on, and then the the second part of his career was being on television. Well, okay, so he did something where, uh, so I don't know uh, that it's um, uh, self punishing in the same way, because that's in the, that's, that's a subjective question whether uh, he feels that the same kind of, pain from what happened that 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 i might feel or you might feel or other people m- might feel from the uh exposure i think the answer to that is no i think the answer is that um that he uh is looking to reestablish himself as a television personality and was willing to sit there with allison camarada and answer questions about why he masturbated on a zoom call in front of his colleagues where I differ with you guys by the way is that I don't think it's preposterous for David Remnick of The New Yorker to have said I can't really have you work here anymore after after what just happened if, if in an if in a if in his office if he had been sitting in his office, uh, doing it, and people had walked by and opened the door and found him there. Um, uh, I don't think there would have been any question whatsoever that it was a fi- that it was a legitimately fireable offense. That you can't behave that way uh, in public uh, in, in your in your in your workplace. It, it raises too many uh, discomforts. Not that it was abusive of other people. That's not even. The issue—it just goes to the good working order of a functioning.
2: It's unprofessional. It's well, just I wildly mean, unprofessional. I mean, I, you...
1: I don't even know what the word. Right, uh, was, but but when you say met... unprofessional, you're right, of course, but somehow it doesn't capture the, you know, well, the the um, the guttural, elemental nature of of doing the most private kind
2: of thing. But this is in a public this... setting. But this is the point, though, and the reason that when when you talk to your friends and you all say we would not go back on television after this, but he did. It's the shamelessness. It's actually so this is the question is if you're if you have someone and CNN has many people actually on air on a regular basis who have this uh, ability. If you're if the person is shameless about their behavior, they can return very easily as long as the powers that be determine that it's fine for them to do so.
0: Right. But I don't think we witnessed a display of shamelessness. I think we witnessed a display of public penance. This was his time in the pillory. He was put in the stockade before the public to endure his punishment for the sin that he had committed. For but
1: three did minutes. He, did he
2: believe it? But for did he three. believe it? Was okay. he really, yeah.
0: That the... segment, Abe and
1: I watched that segment. That segment was six minutes long, let's say. And the first three minutes were his. It was the say... longest six minutes of his life. Okay. No. would be the longest of yours. <laughs> No, because it had two parts. Because the first part was you got to answer these questions, and he's like, "It was stupid and unforgivable, and I, uh, I need to be a better person." Yada, yada, And then it was like, "Well, we've missed your insights. Now let's talk about the Supreme Court. Will Stephen Breyer? What What are the cases that are coming up?" It was a two part interview. The first part was let's clear the decks. You can't come back on the air without answering a few of these questions. Now, guess what? We're going to talk as though this never happened and have you on as our Supreme Court analyst. So it was not the longest. It was a long three minutes. And then it was a, hey, I'm back, baby. <laughs> you know, all right. You know, I took my, you know, you slapped me in the face. I took my, you know, I took my my 20 lashes
3: and now I'm back in the classroom. Uh, But he spent months in the, in the, in the stockade, so to speak. I mean, uh, but but just not, not visibly, not in public. He didn't uh, kind of, I mean, not, 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 not by by virtue of his employers, but by virtue of television shows and social media and everyone. I mean, he, there is, I would honestly rather be suspended without pay than, you know, and, and not endure, Right, uh, all the other aspects of it. So,
1: but well, that goes without saying. I'm saying that yeah. I I wouldn't I, I I couldn't bear those three minutes, but uh, those three minutes were totally valuable for him. That was that was fine for him.
3: Regarding the um the the validity of his being fired, I, John, I completely agree that you know, in the office, uh, anywhere on the, the grounds of your employer anything like that is of course a fireable offense my understanding and it may be wrong of the of the what happened during the call is that they were on a break in the call i, and, I he was I, yeah, so yeah my only point here is that you're you're this was happening during a time when um sort of work hours home hours were sort of ill-defined um yeah. It's a little trickier. He is literally home. They they may be on a break in the call. He screwed up, you know, massively, obviously. But I don't. I don't know that it it carries with it the the exact same sort of um, uh, uh, degree of deviance that doing something like that on work property would.
1: I I don't even think what he did was deviant. It wasn't deviant. That's not Right. right. Okay, so point is it's that stuff i don't think is any of our business right he's got a private relationship with his employer at condé nast and the, the new yorker if his bosses think they can't really work with him anymore because what they saw can't be unseen yeah. and you know and and they can't just deal with him anymore like it's just, just, just too human it's too fraught uh and and he doesn't have the grounds to sue them on the grounds that they were you know they they fired him unjustly or something that's a private matter between him and his employer it's a little different because CNN is a public forum in a weird way obviously it's also a private employer and all they can do whatever they want i'm not saying CNN doesn't have the right to put him on the air if they want to put him on the air they want to rehabilitate him um that's not really it's more goes to the fact that he was come it's one thing if he publishes an article right under his name and then people go oh my god they were publishing an article it's another your face is there you have to answer specific questions about it and all of that that's like what i would find unendurable and i think a lot of us would find unendurable and that uh we are now i think hampered to some degree culturally by the being the kind of people who would find that unendurable this of course is the enduring lesson of one of the subjects that made Jeff a, uh, you know, an international celebrity, which was uh, Monica Lewinsky Gate, which is what Clinton taught us was, don't stop, Don't be shameless. Don't apologize. Don't say you're sorry. Don't say you did it. Don't look for penance, Don't ask for pen. Don't ask for forgiveness.
2: Shift the blame lie. to that woman.
1: Yeah, <laughs> lie, say it in Whatever it is, just keep moving forward, and you can motor through these things because of the nature of contemporary society and that path that he that he laid out that had not been present because, of course. We'd been through this 10 years earlier with Gary Hart, who said, go ahead, see if you can find that I have a girlfriend. And the press seemed to find he had a girlfriend. And Hart was like, (laughs) okay, you got me. And he quit. And he left the presidential race. This would have been more like Clinton saying, I don't have a girlfriend. How dare you? And uh, Gary Hart's wife saying, I didn't just sit here baking cookies. And then he goes on, right? I mean, that... It's an interesting example of how things changed in the nature of public shame, in the nature of hypocrisy being the, 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 the tribute that vice pays to virtue and all of that, because it turns out that paying tribute in that way uh, may be self-defeating, because maybe you can get away with it. And by the way, if you don't get away with it, this is the other weird aspect of this stuff the compact in part used to be you get shamed and you say oh my god i can't live like this anymore and you quit and then the subject is dropped because the culture doesn't want to talk about this stuff either the culture finds it agonizing to have public discussions of personal sexual peccadillos that aren't sort of just you know jokey conversations around a dinner table or at a supper or at a men's club or something like that now, if you're Ralph Northam or somebody else who gets caught doing something and you have and people say you should resign or you're Andrew Cuomo, it doesn't matter who it is and you resign, you are not. That resignation does not spare you. It gets you absolutely nothing. That conversation will not stop. No topic in the world is undiscussable anymore practically and you might as well just keep going because when if you stop going the pain is going to be just as just as severe as if you keep going and you hold on to your position and your power tubin was not in that position because he wasn't the you know it, he didn't have a choice choices the choice was made for him by his superiors, but you know, the governor of Virginia, the governor of New York, they don't have superiors in that sense. They don't have somebody who can say, "Okay, you got to quit," and so you just go on. And it's a different kind of society. But I think, and this gets to the larger, same question we talked about: the sixteen-year, you know, the the girl who, you know, who said something about other cheer, you know, about not getting on the cheerleader squad on on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it was and the person in her class saved the video for 2 years she gets into the school she wants to go to and this person slow you know sends the, makes public the 24 hour video that was made and destroys her life she is she can't go to the college the college withdraws her acceptance and she's done and toast. She was 14, 15 years old. She said something incendiary uh, and somebody just kept it in their back pocket to ruin her
2: later. Not somebody, a fellow student yes. at her school yes. who kept it, saved it, and your Snapchat videos, is, for those of you who don't know, are meant to disappear you know, pretty soon after they've been watched, he saved it he kept it he sat on it and he plotted revenge and that student was giving a given a really flattering profile in the new york times thousands of words expended on this you know handwringing about oh race and this and that never once does anyone in that article point out the obvious about this kid like that is a that is a kind of sociopathic way to pursue your fellow teenagers in high school and i i pity the people who have to work with that guy down the line but
1: it was in the name of larger social justice it was and that's because of racial it. Right. justice exactly okay. okay so let's let's discuss this so we are now in a position where hasn't happened that much. I mean, it certainly hasn't happened to like Louis CK hasn't really had a revival or anything like that. but but um, what the Tubin example seems to suggest is uh, we talked about this with Chris Iwalt is this question of whether or not uh, in the world of the new American aristocracy, uh, as long as you uh, don't express opinions that run counter to the general social opinion, uh, 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 of the elites uh that uh, you're gonna get that compassion you're gonna get that buy that nobody else is gonna get uh jeff uh can go back on CNN and presumably start you know once he's cleared by CNN he can probably start writing for whoever he could write for that 's not then he could be somebody else whatever uh and kind of reestablish himself um Ray donovan the uh, Reagan Secretary of Labor um, died this week at the age of 90. Uh, no one would remember Ray Donovan, who was a, who was a New Jersey Republican, except uh, that he came under scrutiny for supposed illegal activity. I don't really remember what the circumstances were. Um, and after a two-year investigation that cost him millions of dollars he didn't have, He was cleared by an inspector general of wrongdoing. And uh, when he uh, gave a press conference, whatever, he stood up and he said, where do I go to get my reputation back? It was one of the great states. He was pursued for ideological reasons, an effort to criminalize policy differences. He was gone after illegitimately on the grounds that he had done something illegal that he hadn't done because his ideological enemies wanted to destroy him. And the question was, where does he go to get his reputation back? Um, it's an interesting thing to think about here, because um, it is now in America, it is now people who have absolutely, who have not a lot of standing, uh, who are the most easily destroyed by, by wokeness and this, this political culture. And and that's I think where where we get to this question of because I think we can all understand that every it's ridiculous in a society in which we're now letting you know actual people who do things you know we've ended bail, uh, but you say the wrong thing and your and your and your 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 ability to simply proffer a livelihood is you know is destroyed forever. Where do we go from here? I don't even know.
3: Well, I mean, you know, the 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 thing that one of the problems that we've been saying throughout the, the age of wokeness, and this was one of the early problems with uh, Me Too, despite um, some of the um, good things about the Me Too movement, um, the possibility of um, forgiveness is nil um, if you are, unless you are uh some sort of you know champion or or emblem of elite opinion um so so wh- where we go with this I think is um further down that road because who because you you the the people who are not forgiven are the are the relative nobodies and so who then is there who then is going to Why would this change? Because if it's nobodies that are that are being really canceled, um, then there is there's no sort of cultural force to to stick up for them.
0: Well, there is in the form of small, narrow, committed bands of people who render you uncancelable, And that's that's the direction in which we're heading in an entertainment, at least institutions no longer protect the people that serve for them. Um, But but audiences do. And in so far as you can have a small committed band of people, doesn't even have to be a lot of people, a couple, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people, will will keep you protected. So to the extent that whatever controversy you encounter, um, it has a news cycle, but it can't draw what these people want, which is blood or income. Um, if they have to exact some sort of concession from you in order for it to go away. And if you don't give them that concession, then it it really does kind of peter out over the course of seventy two hours. That's but, why the apology thing doesn't work anymore. If you apologize, but, but, you give new life to the news cycle.
3: But I mean, what if you're a, what if you're the the high school student who yeah, said the no, and, 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 <laughs> and then but, and then five years from now you're 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 up for a job and your name's Googled by your per- prospective employer and all that comes flooding through uh, Google.
0: Well, but what are these it? media
3: outlets doing when they? prosecute
0: a a, a problem that is that has riven a high school they're satisfied they're not they're this isn't has no this has no broader implications save for the fact that they're giving the audience something titillating that they want and what they want yeah is christine you're about to say I was to
2: say, they, they want that narrative they want the they want the people punished they're also satisfying i think though a lot of their own junior staffers who believe that they're on a mission as journalists to root out this kind of whatever they were in high school 10 okay, minutes ago themselves they want know, an avatar to right exact right. their
0: own revenge right but the, they never got to meet out
1: but the new york times story about the about the 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 young girl who lost her her place uh, at college, and I don't remember what college it was. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I don't want to just say that this is a problem with the media because that that that's not legitimate. This is an institutional problem across larger institutions, particularly universities. Um, this was a story because the college rescinded her acceptance on the basis right. of a TikTok or, or, or Snapchat video made three years before they had accepted her, when she was 14 or 15 years old. And they covered their asses. The admissions department or the college, worried that they were going to get into trouble, decided, it's easier for us to destroy this girl's life than for us to have to say, if we are asked, she was 14 or 15 years old, we do not approve of what she did, but we you know, we are not going to judge her, ba- we are not going to ruin her life based on this one thing. That was too hard for them because they don't want to have to say that, so they don't. And the fact that they hold the future of somebody in their hands is a matter of absolutely no concern to them when their own asses are, are in need of coverage. And that is the entire story of wokeness corporately and institutionally. It is, there is a person, there is a controversy about a person and the institution that is supposed to be so big that it can absorb blows and have shock absorbers that individual people don't, they turn out to suck. They turn out to be cruel, uncharitable, selfish, self-focused, and and protective of themselves in the worst way, not the best
0: way.
2: But only in one ideological direction, largely. Right. This is the this is the thing. It's the in, if there's a way through or out of this, and and Chris actually was somewhat weirdly optimistic about this when he was on the show. Star yes, is that the the public seeing the hypocrisy of how inconsistently these things are prosecuted, eventually might, it, and I think it already has to some extent. Turn change people's minds about this. If you're saying we're doing this in the name of racial justice and then one of the people who has been prosecuting others turns out to be, say, I don't know, for example, horribly anti-Semitic and nothing is done or maybe Don's blackface just for fun when he was in college. Nothing happens. Or, say, happens to be African-American sexually harassing women, but he's the lieutenant governor of Virginia, so uh, we're just not going to talk about it. The cases are piling up, and it does right now, it's, it tends to be conservative media that's pointing out these hypocrisies, but people see them. It's very clear that certain people are punished more harshly because they're not conforming to ideologies and they don't look like a victim. So that those will continue to pile up as long as this continues.
1: Uh, okay, so I, I promised that I would sort of go into my the personal issue uh, uh, that uh, that that triggers me in relation to to, to Jeffrey Tubin, uh, which seems to be only fair. Uh, I went to high school with Jeff Tubin. We worked on the school paper together, so I've known him for you know uh, forty five uh, years, and uh, was staggered to discover in my twenties. Um, when my brother-in-law, Elliot Abrams, uh, an official in the Reagan administration, uh, found himself involved in the Iran-Contra scandal, that uh, after the appointment of Lawrence Walsh as the special prosecutor in the Iran-Contra matter, that the lead lawyer in Walsh's office looking to prosecute Elliot was Jeff Tobin, a person that I had gone to high school with. <laughs> And who had edited the school paper with me, which it doesn't occur to me now, could have occurred to me then, should have occurred to me then, when I found out that this was the case, uh, could have made a public stink about it. Could have said that, you know, this was a conflict of interest, that we had weird, you know, he had a weird personal tangible connection, including the fact that my father knew his parents, all kinds of stuff that would mean that Jeff shouldn't have been on Elliot's case and uh, and Elliot was unjustly illegitimately, unfairly, and disgustingly prosecuted by Walsh, was charged with ludicrous offenses uh, for which he ended up pleading guilty in order to spare the family from having to spend millions of dollars in his defense, and was then pardoned by George H.W. Bush at the end of the Bush administration. I bring all this up because a, I don't understand why Jeff was on the case. It's very hard for me to believe that my familial connection to Elliot did not play some kind of funny, weird role in his desire to <laughs> work on the Elliot case. It's it just, it's too, you know, we we competed for roles and plays in high school. It's too weird. Like we were too much in each other's lives and each other's consciousnesses for this not to have played some kind of a part And um, I only – I bring this up because when he was on the show on CNN yesterday, he said something about, you know, how as a a person, as a human being, he never – and as a prosecutor, he never really thought of himself as a hanging judge. He wasn't really a hanging judge. You know, he believed in compassion and stuff like that, to which I say – Bullshit! That is a lie. Elliot did not profit from Iran Contra. Elliot was a public official who was attempting to do something he thought was important and good for the United States and the world. They had nothing on him. They ginned up charges of having lied on a document, you know, on that uh, one of those uh, documents that everybody swears to. And in his book, undo in 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 Jeff's book about. Iran Contra, which is what began his career as a legal writer, um, he kind of acknowledges this, but then he says, uh, well, at least Elliot Abrams won't be able to work in government anymore. Good. And you know what? Elliot went into the George W. Bush administration and ended his time in the George W. Bush administration as the senior official at the National Security Council. Uh, running the Middle East for uh, George W. Bush, and yes, he was largely implicitly because of what had happened. Somebody who could not get con- uh, could not could not have been comfortably confirmed for office running through uh, running through the Senate, uh, but he served his country admirably and did so again in the Trump administration as our. Uh, senior—I don't know what you would call him—the sort of the um, the envoy dealing with Venezuela, and then at the at the tail end, also with Iran. So, um, Elliot got the last laugh, but I'm saying this only because, yes, I have because he made my sister—he's made my sister's life a hell. Uh, he—he, he, I have three; they had three children whose lives he made a misery and um and i do and i do not believe based on my own personal family experience that he deserves an ounce a smidgen a a you know a part per million of compassion based on what he did to my family so i wish him all the best which is to say i wish him none of the best and uh and let him Let's see what happens. But uh, for for him to claim that what he deserves as a human being is uh, is capaciously open hearted treatment, I would like him to go look in the eyes of uh, my my niece and nephews and apologize to them for what he did. Elliot doesn't need his apology, and my sister is dead. So moving on to uh, Lafayette Park, Uh, the uh, IG of the is it the Interior Department? I don't even I can't remember. It's so some odd department. It wasn't wasn't Justice, but it was the uh, the IG of the department. I think it was the Interior Department, tasked with uh, figuring out what happened uh, at the beginning of June 2020 uh, in Lafayette Park the now famous incident where it was where it was said that the uh, that the park police had used tear gas to clear Lafayette Park which is right across the street from the White House uh, uh, in order that Trump could go have a, a photo op there. Um, uh, if you remember he walked from uh, he walked from the White House to St. John's Episcopal Church, which had been set on fire the previous night. Um, and held up a Bible, only he held up the Bible upside down. And then it was said that this had all been done to help him do this photo op and all of that. Um, And uh, this is what we know about it, right? This is what we know is they cleared the park so so Trump could have a photo op and they used tear gas against peaceful protesters and all of that. So now it's a year later and there's this incredibly detailed report, which I haven't read. Uh, uh, Noah, Christine, can you, can you fill us in on the on the findings of the report
0: so i think christine will have a little bit more to say on this but um, my overall impression of this thing is that it's very weird um i have no reason to second guess the conclusions of the ig department the conclusions are that it was predetermined that these protesters being violent being aggressive being unreasonable and uh, not responsive to law enforcement needed to be contained and that containment consisted of putting up fencing around the White House and this is one of the they couldn't do that because they these protesters were in the way in Lafayette Park they needed to be cleared out so they could put up these emergency barriers now and that's exactly what they did and what happened was we can only assume that Donald Trump and his administration and the the political people around him didn't say this should happen, didn't didn't demand that it should happen for a political photo op, but took advantage of it with extraordinary alacrity um, and uh, had this photo op the second that basically these people were cleared out, within 10 minutes of them being cleared out. And the impression that you can get there is that Donald Trump wanted this to happen. Apparently that's an erroneous impression, but it was one that was shared by the people in the Department of Defense who resigned in protest over the the assumption that Mark Esper had something to do with this, um, so I it's just it's weird, it's weird, not unjustified, but a lot of you know it's hard to connect some of these dots.
2: Well, one of, one of the things that the IG report I hope will uh, remind people of is that the, there was a really much broader context for what happened with this the easy narrative that was immediately picked up, which as no, I agree with Noah, is totally it's it's actually completely believable that Trump would gas protesters to get them out of his way to stage a photo op right that that's kind of his style the fact that it wasn't questioned if that was the narrative is a huge uh Uh, deficiency on the part of the media, which immediately went with one story and never really even asked questions about any other alternatives, but they also did something else. And that's, they completely ignored and downplayed what had been going on a couple of days before that in that exact area, the protesters in that area were not peaceful. They were repeatedly violent. Dozens and dozens of, of police officers had been injured over the course of just a few days. They tried to burn down the church. They were destroying the, you know, this, this, uh, Park, um, and the media was reporting it as, "Look at these heroes! Look at them right outside the White House, challenging Donald Trump! Like, look at them! This some were peaceful, certainly, many were not, and there was a lot of violence and a lot of destruction. And the reason they needed to bring in that no-scale fencing is that there was a perceived." actual security threat to the White House grounds. And regardless of what you think of Donald Trump, we do have people in our government whose sole job is to protect the president, whomever he or she might be. So I feel like the context of what started this whole narrative was also deliberately downplayed by the media in in a absolutely lockstep attempt to make Donald Trump look like a crazy authoritarian tyrant in that moment. The photo op was ridiculous. Um, and like Noah said, it, it, it's weird that people would resign over it, assuming he did call for it. But this report is not getting the attention it deserves, both for the context it provides about what happened last year and for the behavior of the media in sycophantically following the narrative that best suited their ideological priors.
1: But they didn't follow it. They created it. They created it, it. yes. Sorry, they literally right. created, they created a, created a narrative that we now know to be untrue. That, in and, that, time, is, yeah. that is what is important here. I mean, and 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 uh, the fact that it took a year of you know deep investigation by the park police to destroy this storyline that was invented before our eyes, um, I think is, is 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 astoundingly damning about the the fact that. Yes, I I agree with both of you that, um, you know, uh, Donald Trump is somebody who said things like we should use force and violence against protesters. That was one of his political issues in 2015 and 2016. So, so, uh, so then saying, ah, there are protesters, they were clear from Lafayette Park and then he did a photo op. Is there, you know, d- does it follow a credible line that this is something that he would be interested in? Yes. Do you presume... As a matter of course, that he ordered it. No, you do not presume because you're not supposed to presume anything. That's not and and Philip Bump of the Washington Post declaring that you know I don't know uh, people at Fox or Molly Hemingway, whoever, who raised skeptical questions about this narrative, were being propagandists when he was the propagandist. That that is the point. This was a propaganda war against. Trump in the heat of the campaign as the country was going absolutely stark raving insane over because it had been two months of COVID and, and George Floyd had happened. And people in this country were going nuts. And the and the uh, people who held the starter fluid were shooting it on the flames. And that was Phil Bump and people like him. And it wasn't the park police who actually did what they were supposed to do in, uh, in erecting fencing to make sure that there wasn't going to be destru- de- you know, destruction wasn't going to take place in and around Lafayette park, which has buildings on three sides of it, including Blair house, the famed location where people t- 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 generally tend to sleep the night before they're sworn in as president of the United States historic house, also where, where 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 the church was, that was that had been set on fire.
2: And graffitied. I mean, there had been significant destruction already when they made the determination that they needed to put up the fencing and protect the square. Um, so w-
3: what strikes me is that what we're seeing here, I think, to some extent, is that after a comfortable distance from Trump being in office, we're, we're getting sort of a fresh, stream of information about a number of stories um, about Trump and the Trump years and policies and ideas during those times that really show um, a lot of what was um, made popular in the media was not true. And it's, it's kind of been a bit of a cascade. I mean, if you take things like Um, the Russian bounty story in Afghanistan, right? That where, you know, Trump supposedly was fine with uh, there there being, um, uh, Russians uh, contracted to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan, which was not true. I think the the burying or the discrediting of the lab leak hypothesis is is a part of this as well, um, because that was uh, somehow seen as a, um, a, a, a trump designed um, narrative and this and there and there are others that i've that i've forgotten is there a cumulative effect here uh in you know for, for conservatives we we know um where this is not shocking um is there a cumulative effect on the average news consumer
1: mm, yes and no i mean i think the cumulative effect is uh, that the continuing destruction of any sense of um, uh, reliability uh, from the press on the part of anybody who is remotely sympathetic to the Republican Party, or 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 is not sympathetic to the Democratic Party and to liberalism in general, these hits just come constantly, you know. And, and 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 they just reinforce the idea that what is said cannot cannot be trusted, or or actively must be uh, resisted. And then for the same people to walk around saying, "Oh my God, you know these people don't even believe in truth. You know my we don't even we don't even accept the same version of truth anymore. What about truth? Uh, they're liars. So you know they got." Uh, or or at the very least, I mean, if you don't want to say that this was like a conscious knowing lie, um, they misrepresented reality, maybe innocently, but that doesn't matter if you don't make a reckoning of having done it and say, part of what we do is correct the record when we get it wrong. And one of the things here, of course, is that nobody went back and checked. The only person who went back and checked as a result of their legal obligations was the inspector general here. Washington Post could have done it an analogy, could have done a piece a week later and said you know what this isn't what happened but they didn't
2: well, you no know, water worse, kept, it, yeah it, it worse it I sorry to interrupt but it, yeah. it continued it, they did something worse which is hark back to the uh, misinformation over and over again in all of their coverage of the trump administration and now i will say to their credit places like abc news uh i think nbc also did this washington post did it they acknowledged what the ig report said cnn did not cnn had several segments where people were trying to talk their way around the report and pretend as if oh well still the coincidence what can you say is this ig really nonpartisan? i mean they were they were just asking questions as as we say but some of the media outlets that have been proven to have just absolutely uh, misled the public have acknowledged that, but that's it. You're not going to hear more of it. I would I would bet a lot of money that many of their opinion writers will continue to raise the tear gassing protesters as a kind of trope um, to attack the right. So it's, it's out there, but that's how misinformation actually spreads.
0: Uh, I got one
2: other.
1: I don't, I don't
0: recall. I'm just sorry. I don't recall either Donald Trump or his supporters in the press doing anything to dispel that notion. They did. Molly Hemingway literally was on Fox saying... Oh, no. All she was saying was that tear gas and pepper spray are not the same thing. That was her crusade.
1: That wasn't the only thing she said. But I, oh, I don't, don't want to go. go... It was in
0: the Trump administration and its supporters' interests to project the impression of toughness to the extent that they would okay, do but, something like this. You
1: know, I, I, that, that's a, I, I think that that is, a, that is an unjust moral equivalence. I'm sorry, it just is. Either it happened or it didn't happen. It doesn't matter because the narrative that was being proffered was a mainstream media narrative that fascism was coming to America because protesters were being gassed in Lafayette Park and it didn't happen. Now, they may have wanted to reject toughness like we cleared Lafayette Park. Tear gas was not used and the purpose of what was going on in Lafayette Park was to protect public property across from the White House and to protect this church from being set on fire again. And that was not whatever the conservative press or the conservative media was pushing, even if they wanted to seem tough. I mean, I just don't think that that comes anywhere near the level of of the of the storyline that then simply became an accepted
0: storyline i mean do you recall how mark esper very publicly said that we would not use military force to enforce the insurrection act to clear out protests and that was the fallout from this event the administration arguing with itself so if you were paying attention to what they were saying not just for internal consumption within the conservative movement they weren't doing anything to dispel that.
2: But they were. Well, it was it was inconsistent because Trump, I think, tweeted an article that Molly Hemingway had written in the Federalist that questioned the media narrative that said actually the park police were putting up this stuff because of all the destruction that had been going on in Lafayette Square, and he retweeted that like this is a must read or one of his like you know Trump endorsed tweets. So there was weirdly. There was there there was contradictory messaging. I agree with you, Noah, that plenty of people in the Trump administration were like, "Look at how tough this makes us look," and a lot of Trump supporters said felt that way too. But there was also some acknowledgement among conservatives that the mainstream, need, well, at least among Molly and a few others, that this might not be an unquestioningly true story.
1: But in any case, I think uh, if you asked most people to try to remember what happened. And they could. They would say the park police cleared out Lafayette Square using tear gas and other stuff, so that Trump could have a photo op. I mean that that I mean I think that that was what people came away with. And and not to use the constant cliche of Plato's Cave yet again, but if the Plato's Cave fantasy or you know uh, uh, ghost reality became reality people resigned over it for no good reason. And we, we responded incompetently to January 6th because of a false understanding of what had happened on May 30th. I mean, th- that's another way of looking at this, uh, that shows the power of the false narrative power to affect people who theoretically should be allergic to its effects. I want to just move on to one thing before we go. Um, which is a uh, which is a pretty astonishing tweet that just popped up this morning from Thomas Frieden. Thomas Frieden was the head of the CDC under Barack Obama. Was the head of the New York City Health Department under Michael Bloomberg. Um, Here is what he tweeted this morning: "Quote, whether or not COVID emerged from a lab." we know that labs around the world aren't safe enough. We need a much better way of regulating labs so people aren't doing dangerous experiments without sufficient oversight. That's one step toward improving global health security. This guy ran the CDC. Okay? It's like, you know what? Let's change the subject as to whether or not a pandemic that is now on the on the uh, you know is on the road to killing at least 4 million people on the planet if not many more let's not really talk about who did it let's talk about lab security um so i'm i, I i'm i'm kind of uh this is i think the leading edge of where this kind of conversation is going to go here which is one of those It doesn't matter whether Tawana Brawley lied. She really cast a spotlight on the problem of people being raped in small towns and having feces spread on their bodies, which really is a very large issue in the world. Like, lab security is a huge issue in the world because, as we know, millions of people die because of lab leaks. No, millions of people don't lie because of lab leaks. Millions of people died maybe because of this one lab leak. And if you want to start playing this game of suggesting of somehow giving the Chinese a pass, if it happened, however it happened, uh, because the problem is a generic one having to do with how people behave in facilities, Uh, this is a leading American public health official with 20 years of experience, ran the New York City Health Department and ran the CDC this is very dangerous. This is this is the world preparing to go amnesiacal about what may be the most foreign poly, most, most important event of the last 15 to 20 years.
0: Yeah, it's not wrong though that lab leaks do happen very often in China deadly ones. This wouldn't be the first. He didn't um, say China. Yeah, right. Well, it, it, they've happened in the west too, but Of course they've happened. Less, you know, of course yeah. they've happened. Which, which, by the way, is one of the reasons that we we know that it could have
1: happened. We know that it could have happened because lab leaks happen. The whole notion that that letter was published in The Lancet in February saying, how dare anybody say this lab leak could have happened, when everybody on that letter knows perfectly well that lab leaks happen. One of the reasons that the lab leak hypothesis is credible is because lab leaks happen. But they don't kill tens of millions of people. They may kill... Dozens of people. They don't kill tens of millions of people. And so, again, it's not, I, I mean, I, I just think that as a, as, a, as a matter of emphasis, we are moving into very weird and interesting territory here. Uh, this is how the public health community is going to try to cauterize the wound, seal it before before everybody else goes bananas. And like the 2008 financial meltdown and like other things, the political consequences of trying not to get to the bottom of this are are going to be world epic historical in ways we don't even know how they would work, right? 2008, you know my theory, 2008 leads to Trump. We don't reckon with the event of the financial meltdown and its causes for various reasons having to do with Obama's behavior and the nomination of Mitt Romney and everything like that, and it explodes outward anyway in a complete revision of the American political system, in part because we didn't. And if we don't deal with the lab leak hypothesis credibly, seriously, with, with proper linear consequences, should it turn out to be the case. That is to say, China will have to be forced, if we if we have credible reason to believe that it really did happen, China will be forced to, pay, to, to provide some restitution for what it did not only to us but to the world. If that doesn't happen by 2024 or 2028 – God knows what the political response is going to be. You want to talk about a populist explosion when an when a, a authoritarian communist regime uh, is believed by hundreds of millions of people around the world to have killed tens of millions, maybe by then tens of mil- 10 million people. Oh man! I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I who knows? And if you th- this could make this could make Trump look like. Mr. Rogers is all I'm saying. I don't like Mr. Rogers either. <laughs> um, anyway, with that, we will, we will, uh, we thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back to you next week for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.